The sermon preached at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church, a member of the Wells, in Hancock, Minnesota, on February 23, 2014, based on 1 Samuel chapter 26, verses 7 through 25. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word from God through which the Holy Spirit works in us the mind of Christ, is First Samuel 26. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today, God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said. The Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all asleep because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner, Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? David said, You are a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your lord, the king? Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done, and what wrong am I guilty of? Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts for a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have erred greatly. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. As surely as I value your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. This is the word of our Lord. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. Devotion and betrayal, jealousy and bloodshed, escape and life on the run, 
the life of David is so much more than killing a giant and becoming king. Those years in between were troubled years. At first, life went well. After the Lord gave young David victory over Goliath, that nine-foot Philistine champion from Gath, King Saul took David into his service. David became closest of friends with Saul's oldest son, Jonathan. He successfully accomplished whatever King Saul gave him to do, rising to a high rank in the army. He was devoted to serving his king. But Saul saw David as a threat. His jealousy grew. He heard the crowds praising David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And so one day, while David was in the house with the king, Saul hurled his spear at him, trying to pin him against the wall. David eluded him twice. After that, Saul must have put on a, a friendlier face, for David continued to serve the king as leader of a thousand men, going into dangerous campaigns for the sake of Israel. Saul was hoping, no doubt, that David would die in those campaigns and save him the trouble of killing him. And as part of this more subtle attempt to rid himself of David, Saul gave his daughter to marry David, for they loved each other. But Saul was hoping to use her to entrap David. But instead she helped David escape. And then when his own son Jonathan questioned Saul's anger against David, Saul raged against Jonathan and hurled his spear at him. Now David had to leave all behind. He had to run for his life. He had to leave behind his dear friend Jonathan, his wife, his father's family. He lived as a fugitive. At first he tried to hide outside of the nation of Israel in the city of Gath. Remember that was the hometown of Goliath, the town of the Philistines? That's how desperate David was to escape from the hands of Saul. When that didn't work, he was left fleeing from place to place, living in the wild with a band of men that had gathered around him. Do you see why David had every reason to hate Saul? Yet from David's example we learn what it means to love our enemies. That's the theme today. Love your enemy. And from David we'll see that revenge usurps God's place. That's part one. But love trusts the Lord. Part 2. Part 1. Revenge usurps God's place. But I have a right to get even after what they did to me. We've all felt that kind of anger. We've tried to rationalize or excuse it. And even if we stopped ourselves from taking action, our evil desire by itself condemns us. Now, there is such a thing as righteous, God-pleasing anger, and sometimes we want to excuse our thoughts of revenge by claiming their righteous anger. But maybe a, a good example of righteous anger is the anger parents feel toward their own child when he endangers himself. 
This anger flows from love for the child. It takes actions that may be painful, but are done in love to prevent an even greater harm. But how different is the anger that wants to get back at someone? Desires to get even and thoughts of revenge are never righteous anger. Rather, they usurp God's place. But they have it coming. That's another excuse we use to try to justify revenge. But if anyone had it coming, Saul certainly did. I haven't even told you the worst of what he did. When David was first on the run, he stopped at the town of Nob and asked the priest there who was serving at the tabernacle for food. The priest thought David was on a mission for the king since David had been a loyal soldier. But when Saul found out about this, he did not accept the excuse that they didn't know David was on the run. Rather, he orders the massacre of the entire town, including 85 priests who were serving the Lord, and women, children, infants, and animals. Some would say Abishai's desire to pin Saul to the ground with a spear was too kind for him. They have it coming. That's never an excuse for revenge. It usurps God's place. But if I don't teach them a lesson, then who will? That's another excuse that creeps into our minds to rationalize revenge. And sometimes we can dress it up pretty nicely so that we almost sound as if we have their best interest at heart. I just want to teach them a lesson. But first ask yourself, is that your place? Has God given you that role and responsibility to teach them a lesson? Are you a parent, disciplining your child, a teacher correcting your student, a spiritual leader admonishing his people, an employer training an employee, a police officer or judge enforcing the law? If not, then you need to leave it in the hands of those whom God has placed in authority over that person. That may, need, may, that may mean we need to report it to the proper authorities, but even if they don't do their job or and there's no one else to, to report it to, we still don't take it into our own hands. Leave it in God's hands. David realized this. It wasn't his place to teach Saul a lesson by getting back at him. There was no earthly authority that could justly do that do that. Since as king Saul was at the top of the pyramid, no earthly authority was above him. So David left it in the Lord's hands. You heard him say so. As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. David took to heart the words of the Lord. The words the Lord had spoken in Deuteronomy, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. Revenge usurps God's place. Now, that day of reckoning did come for Saul. He was mortally wounded in battle against the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. 
and he committed suicide before they could capture him. When David heard the news, he was heartbroken. He grieved how the mighty had fallen. You see, a heart free of revenge, a heart that loves our enemies, does not take pleasure in their suffering or loss, no schadenfreude. How guilty we are. Another harms us and we want to get even. Words of anger flow out of our mouth. And if we don't lash out at anger at them, maybe we gossip behind their back or we complain about them to others, hurting their reputation. Even if we keep our words in check, our hearts feel the desire to get even or maliciously rejoice when they suffer, when they get what's coming to them. We might even imagine that God is too slow in carrying out justice. How guilty we are. And how merciful our God is. We would all have been in hell long ago if God treated you or me as we deserve. But instead, he gave us his son while you were still his enemy, Jesus, died for you. The Apostle John writes, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's Son, Jesus Christ, our brother, is the only sacrifice that pays for your sins and mine and the sins of the whole world. God loved the world so that he gave his only Son the lost to save, we sang earlier. What love! And his love is faithful and constant, for he is the Lord. The Apostle Paul writes, He will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Second Timothy 2 How often we have failed to love our enemies. How often we let desires of revenge linger in our hearts. But the Father's love stands faithfully watching, longing for you ready to welcome you back with his open arms. Don't turn away from his love. Fall into his arms, confessing, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I have failed to love my enemy as you have loved me. And through his word and sacraments, his love embraces you. And his love whispers to you, Dear child, you are forgiven. What love? His love for us draws us to love him. He is faithful. So our love trusts him. Which brings us to the second part. Love for our enemies is love that trusts the Lord. At the end of the text, after David made it clear that he had spared Saul's life, Saul promised not to harm David. But David knew he could not trust that promise. Several other times Saul had made similar promises. 
but sooner or later he went back on his word and again tried to put an end to David. Although we hope and pray for our enemies to be changed and become children of God, that hope, that wish, is not what we build our hope on, or that's not what we build our love on. For that kind of hope will often disappoint and prove false. The strength to love our enemies does not come from hoping that someday they will be better. Rather, dear friends, love for our enemies comes from trusting the Lord. Because our hope in Him, hope built on His promises, will not prove false. Love relies on His promises. For the Lord is faithful. He keeps His promises. The Lord had promised David that he would be the next king of Israel. The prophet Samuel had anointed David while he was still a youth living in his father's house in Bethlehem before Goliath or anything else had happened. David trusted the Lord to keep his promise, even though it seemed so far away or even impossible that he, the fugitive, would one day be king. He trusted the Lord For the Lord is faithful. He keeps his promises. Ponder his promises to you, dear friends. He brings you his promises through his word, through baptism, and through his supper. Through these, he promises power. Yes, his promises empower our love. And that love trusts the Lord. Jesus has conquered death. He paraded through hell in victory. No enemy is greater than Jesus, not even the arch enemy, Satan. And Jesus gives you the victory. That's his promise. 1 Corinthians 15. In the Lord's Supper, we taste that victory. Love trusts the Lord. Jesus is at God's right hand, reigning over all things. The power of the Almighty is His. He promises that He rules over all for the good of His people, the church, including you and me. He is the head over everything for His body, the church, Ephesians Ephesians 1. So even when life seems to go from bad to worse, We trust that he is in control. He will watch over you, his baptized child reborn through the water and word. Love trusts the Lord. And Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. He promises that we who remain faithful will be with him forever. 1 Thessalonians 4 His word will not fail or pass away. What joy awaits us who remain faithful. No matter how dark the present, love trusts the Lord. Love that trusts the Lord loves our enemies. We have no need for revenge since we trust our Lord to take care of it. For he will return to judge We have no need to get even in order to keep others from taking advantage of us. For Jesus reigns over all. We trust that our Lord 
who is at God's right hand, has the power to protect us. We have no need to live in terror of what our enemies might do, since our Lord has already given us the victory. Any earthly loss dims in comparison to the glory he has won for us. Even death has become the doorway to heaven for you who believe in Jesus. Love your enemies with that love that trusts the Lord. He is faithful. He keeps his promises. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.